This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. So uh, we're recording this Thursday morning. Yes, we are. <laughs> and um, I want to say it's been a stressful week, but truthfully, it was just like a very stressful three hours last night. <laughs> Four hours? It was a lot. How are you feeling? How about a stressful first two minutes? <laughs> Like, my house was falling apart. The kids are screaming like there's yeah. a tornado approaching or something. It was, it was I've never experienced the Battle of Alberta quite like that. It was Right? That, well, that's a... That's, the playoffs. Imagine, yeah. imagine that times 10 back in the 80s because the swings were so one way to the other, overtime oh. games, and back and forth year after year. Oh. Can you imagine this happening every every spring? No. I can't even imagine it happening again. I, and I feel like last night was such a weird roller coaster too, because it was yeah. like I got off work and I had a minute to breathe and I had myself a cup of tea and then I tuned into the news and then you could just Jason feel it Kenny building. stepped oh, yeah, down as UCB leader and I was like, what? Yeah. And I felt stressed. What a day for Alberta. And then I went and got ice cream and I felt better. But then the <laughs> game started and then I felt worse again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's been a week. Yes. So I think I think what we're hearing <laughs> is that last night was a lot. Right. And we all need a minute. To just digest. Yes. So so this week on the show, we're going to be taking the show outdoors, sort of. But mostly, I think the idea is we're just going to take a break from all this. <laughs> um, because I'm going to be distracting you, men. Okay. With other loss. Ooh. Are you ready for this? It's good. It's You know what? It could be worse. I think I know where you're going with right? this. Right? You think the worst thing is losing the flames in game one. Right. I'd like to remind you of climate change. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the mountains... That we have here mm. are gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're a big destination. Absolutely. Any time of year. And that drive through the Rockies is stunning, partly because of the glaciers. Have you ever been on a glacier? I have. I've been to the one, uh, Columbia, is it the Columbia Icefields? Columbia Icefields, yeah. Yeah, I've been to that one. I'm trying to think if I've been to any others. Yeah, you, you know, you realize that it's disappearing right in front of your very own eyes. Exactly. And and that's the perfect distraction to a hockey loss is climate change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> CBC meteorologist and prairie climate change reporter Chrissy Kleimanhaga recently took a trip to the mountains and checked out the ice fields. And she joins us now on The Loop. Hey, Christy. Hey, Claire. How's it going? It's great. I mean, oh, what a trip. I, every time I get to go to the mountains, it's uh, like just a joy. It fills my soul. And then, you know, <laughs> you get to come back. So I, I was so happy to get to go and do this story there. Yeah. I mean, so it's May, right? Mm-hmm. It's spring here in the city. But what is it like right now out in the glaciers? Well, it's so funny because getting into Jasper National Park, it's kind of like a meld of months as you drive through. <laughs> yeah. So the city, the town site is kind of like here, a little cooler, but it is still very spring-like. You get that vibe. And then mm-hmm. as soon as you start driving down the Icefields Parkway, all of a sudden you're turning back the clock and it feels like we're back into, you know, April and then you get to the ice fields and it's late February and March. And I that was something that I just I didn't anticipate because, yeah. you know, you think about it's springtime, but then you realize, oh, yes, the mountains will take their time a little bit more. So lots of snow yeah. out on the glacier. We were walking and, you know, every once in a while you'd sink down to your hip in the snow, which was <laughs> an adventure. Well, I remember seeing footage of uh, videos of you guys walking around that snow is blowing oh, yeah. out there. Like your winter <laughs> gear was getting some extra love. But have you ever been on a, a glacier or, or this glacier before? I have actually, but it has been a very long time. So okay. I went during a overnight school trip, I think in grade eight. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, 14 years old. Um, <laughs> so it's been a good, you know, 15, 16 years since I've been down there. Yeah. And 
It was a farther walk than I remember. Of course, I was a you know a fifteen year old and yes. was probably paying more attention to how cool I looked on the bus. But <laughs> everything feels longer and more drawn out when you're fifteen. Yeah, but it's interesting. As soon as you start walking, I mean, this time we really had the time to walk down the highway because it was still closed because of winter traffic. It was still had some snow. Yeah. Um, and so we're walking by all the signs, and you see, you know, the 1890, the glacier ended here. 1925 and on and on and then two kilometers later you're still not there so it was uh, it was very eye-opening being there this many years later yeah and I mean that kind of teases my next question which mm. is what's going on at the Athabasca Glacier so I mean yeah you can see from the signs but it is definitely retreating and it has been for quite some time um, they're estimating about five meters per year uh, on warmer years a little bit more so I think they said last year last summer uh, seven meters so it's going back pretty quickly. It doesn't seem like a lot, but you really feel that. It just, uh, it is it is starting to disappear and it's not the only one. Um, climate change has really hit the glaciers and the Rocky Mountains very, very hard. And I spoke with a number of scientists on this and glaciologists on really what's happening out there. Um, John Pomeroy uh, is one of those professors, uh, a professor at the University of Saskatchewan, and he's also Canada's research chair in water resources and climate change. Um, here's what he had to say. The calculations that many scientists have done suggest that even if somehow magically we're able to stop global warming tomorrow and return the atmosphere to more normal CO2 concentrations, uh, we would lose most of the Rockies glaciers. So that's a really tough story. Um, the Columbia Icefield would will probably survive past the end of the century. And that's still savable with some of the big ice fields. But the glaciers you can see from the highways are... Uh, are probably finished. Um, so anyway, not all the world is like that, but that's our situation. So I mean, man, as soon as you hear that, it, it's it, it is devastating. I mean, yeah. you, it, you're lo- you're losing such a big part of. Alberta's natural landscape. Uh, And Pomeroy said, you know, as our glaciers continue to go and you're wondering, you know, what we may look like, you just have to look a little further south, places like Montana or Idaho, where they've essentially lost their glaciers and how dry it can get there in the late summer. Yeah. I mean, the clock is ticking. I've never been to a glacier, which I'm now like, oh, God, how long do these glaciers have? How long do I have to actually go see one? You've still got some time. I mean, it it also depends on the glacier because every single one is kind of responding differently. So we mentioned the Athabasca, five meters per year. Um, Pomeroy does a lot of studies on the Pato Glacier, which is kind of near Lake Louise, and it's even faster. It's going at about 25 meters per year. And he said that even jumped up to 200 meters last year. Well, Pato Glacier, perhaps uh, this decade, um, it's, I, I, it's, uh, its current rate of retreat, it may not exist as an identifiable glacier by 2030. It's hard to say. Uh, some of the others will go a few more decades after that. But uh, by mid-century, uh, the Icefields Parkway, people may begin to wonder why it's named that. And I mean, it's so interesting because glaciers, you think like on a hot summer, it'll melt a lot on a cold summer, you know, it's already responded to all of the hot weather we've had recently, but they do actually operate on a bit of of a delay. So even though we saw more melting last summer, they haven't even fully responded to all of the hot weather we've had in the past decade. Wow. I mean, so we talk about glaciers disappearing. They don't just disappear, right? (laughs) Using my very basic science knowledge, (laughs) glacier is ice, ice is water. 
that ice melts and and where does it go because it's got to go somewhere so i mean what happens downstream really well that's that's the big question because i mean our glaciers feed a number of rivers that flow through the prairie so i mean we're thinking about the north saskatchewan of course um the athabasca river the bow river there's a number of rivers that are really relying on that um jeff cavanaugh is an associate professor at the u of a um his research includes glacier dynamics and climate change and he says um the timing of this glacier melt is really what's important. Glaciers are really important for us because they contribute the most flow when everything else is at its lowest. So glaciers ramp up their production of water in the late summer when snowmelt is largely gone, when rainfall is at its weakest. And so they carry us through the hottest months into the winter. And so think of agriculture, think of our demands of our populations on water for industry. Um, for sustaining the ecosystems that these rivers flow through. And so removing glaciers from the equation really changes how water is delivered to the landscape. So, I mean, we're entering a time now where there's still ice up there. So Mm -hmm. there's still quite a bit. And then we get into situations like last summer with the hot weather and you see maybe more melting. So Kavanaugh says we're entering a time where we could see, you know, quite a higher amount of water in those rivers, uh, even for the next 20 years or so before things really start to take a tumble off a cliff. Um, Studies show that without the glaciers, peak flow from those rivers may shift forward a little bit and then we can run into some dry um, issues later in the summer. Right. I mean, we've talked about hot temperatures a lot. I'm having some visceral flashbacks to the heat wave last summer. Is that, is it just these warm temperatures that are really turning our glaciers into slush? Well, there's a a couple of things at play. So of course it's the warm temperatures, but there's also some kind of things that are just feeding almost a vicious cycle. So Mm -hmm. uh, when I was chatting with Pomeroy, he mentioned that some of the glaciers are also developing this dark algae on them, which shocked me because I hadn't hadn't heard of that before. But um, he says the algae, where it came from, still isn't completely clear, but there is a link with wildfire activity. But I went through my photographs in the 1970s and 80s just to make sure I wasn't (laughs) dreaming. But no, glaciers were very, very white back then, uh, even during the melt period. And they're not white. They're very dark now. So the, uh, uh, the algae has colonized the glaciers because of the forest fire soot. Uh, The organic matter, the carbon in there is a food source for the algae. And so perhaps they're carried with the soot, perhaps they were always there, but they didn't bloom as much because they didn't have the food source before. But they certainly are now. So, I mean, as soon as those glacier surfaces are darker, we know from, you know, our seventh and eighth grade science classes (laughs) that the darker surface (laughs) absorbs more heat. So that'll just keep things melting uh, quicker and quicker. And it's funny because you think maybe, okay, if it's a bad fire season, algae, if not, maybe not. But it it actually can hold on a little bit. Pomeroy says that, you know, looking back at 2018, which was a pretty busy fire season, the glaciers were dark that year, of course, but also in 2019 and 2020. Wow. When I think of glaciers and I think of the Rockies in general, I think of clean air. I think of clean water, that crisp smell when you like first get out there and it's like a deep inhale. Oh, yes. Almost hurts your lungs because you're so <laughs> used to the city. But is this changing that kind of cleanliness and, and clarity at all? It's it's interesting to look at because it's not really changing what's up there, but it's changing what we're going to be getting because mm. we're getting more of it. So um yeah, when you picture those glacier ice caps, I can almost picture like a water commercial just 
filling up the bottled yes. water and sealing it off right from the mountains. Um, but there is a little bit more in there that meets the eye. I spoke with Alison Crisatello, who is the director of the Canadian Ice Core Lab at the U of A, and she's been studying the quality of the water stored in our mountain snow and ice. Legacy contaminants, so things that we used to use that were banned, things like DDT, because we know how terrible they are um, for the environment and for ecosystems and all sorts of living things. Um, these things, DDT is a great example because lots of people know about it and, you know, and it, and it was banned so many decades ago, are starting to melt out of the snowpack now because we're in this melting regime. So Crisatello says that um, our increased melt with climate change does up the concern with contaminants in the snowpacks. She does say that her study is a little bit more of a proactive study. It's kind mm-hmm. of finding out what we got up there before it starts to come downstream. I have to appreciate that there are all these scientists mm-hmm. looking at all these different specific areas. It's so true. I mean, there's so many elements to that. It's yeah. not just, you know, it's melting fast. That's it. It's there is how fast is it melting? What's yeah. in there? All of these things that really make that puzzle. It's so fascinating. I think, too, it's especially interesting when we take a scientific look at the Rockies, because when I go there, you know, it's a destination. I'm a tourist. I'm just there to have some fun, uh, drink a beer, go for a hike. But there are so many people, too, who who live there and they're experiencing this and, and they're there full time watching this happen. What is it that they're seeing? Well, of course, if you're there all the time, you it's it's your backyard. It's yeah. it's you're so tied to these areas. And I spoke with a number of people who do visit those glaciers more often than my my once-in-a-15-year trip, of course. Um, Peter Lemieux is one of those people. He's been exploring glaciers in the Rockies since the 70s, uh, but started a company in 1985 that takes tours up the Athabasca Glacier mm-hmm. to see what's happening firsthand. And he says the change has been remarkable, but when you're there every year, it can start to blend together a little bit. Like, we have a 24-year-old son. And when I consider the first time I picked him up, and then another very significant point was when I stood beside him and realized that he was taller than me. In between those times, there's a ton of changes, but on a daily basis, you might not notice it. So people who come one day and then come five years later or 25 years later really see a big change because I'm there every day in the summer. Those changes are incremental. But of course, through each summer, there's retreat, there's meltdown on the surface. And uh, when you begin to look at pictures uh, one year to the next or five years later, or 25 or 35 years later, you really begin to see the inexorable change. And uh, it just reminds me of that saying, if something can't continue, it will stop. And this thing is disappearing. So I mean, yeah, if you're if you're there that long, you wow. can really see it go. And um, we were led when we went on our glacier climb. We were led by uh, Max Dara, who's the guide and owner of Rockaboo Tours. He took us up there and kept us safe. Um, he's been living in the mountains for over twenty years, and here's what he had to say as we were approaching the very far back toe of the glacier. I don't know how many times I've. I've come up onto this glacier or how many days I've spent in this area, but I still feel that energy and the magic of this place. And even more so now that it's so dramatically disappearing, you know, every day that we're able to to witness this landscape in an accessible place like this, it's a pretty special opportunity. And, and my hope is that people take that experience with them 
as, as a direct message from the mountains and, and, and Mother Earth on how things are changing. So it's the change is hard to escape. I mean, everyone's seeing it. Dara says that, you know, 15 years ago, you could pretty easily walk up the moraines onto the toe of the glacier. And now it is much more of a walk. Um, and then in the last decade, the water that you can see at the toe of the glacier is dramatically different than what it once was. So um, even accessing the toe of the glacier is just a completely different game. Yeah. I, I, I think it's fair to say that things have changed a little since the last time you were oh. a too cool for school teenager. <laughs> oh, yes. On the glacier. Now you're a reporter. You focus focus on climate change. These, mm-hmm. This is your work. How did it feel to be out there? Well, it was it was a lot of feelings at once. I mean, it's so exciting to be on something so beautiful. And so, I mean, you can just feel the history because you're looking out at, at these things that you've seen in so many pictures where yeah. the ice was. And, and so, I mean, it was exciting. But then you just you remember why you're there. And, you know, it's 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 devastating that something could be lost like this and you it really makes climate change go from something that you're reporting on and that you hear about and you know about to something that you are seeing and it's very clear so it was i mean it was a lot of feelings that excitement that happiness to be there and to be able to see it while it's there that sadness that there's um it's i mean as Pomeroy said there's not much we can do for many of them but it's also kind of interesting as a message. It's um, you know, okay, we've 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 done some some poor things and the glaciers are are, are past the tipping point, but mm. there's so many things that aren't. So it's it's kind of like what Max was saying about a message from the mountains. It, it truly what feels like that. It's like okay, it kind of kicks your button gear and, yeah. and th- makes you think that things do need to change. Yeah. Chrissy, thank you so much for sharing this trip with us. You're welcome. I mean, how do you react when you lose a sports game? I mean, I probably react like most people. It's not fun, yeah. uh, especially if it's a sports, uh, if it's a team event. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I played beer league for many, many years. Yeah. Some guys take it way too seriously, especially the opposition. Like if mm-hmm. you're on the ice, you know, people have to work in the next morning. Yeah. I mean, it's not the end of the world. You're probably going to get another crack at it. Yeah. Life's too short. Yep. It's just a game. 100%. But it does suck at the moment. At that time, it, it sucks. And yeah, those post-game beers do not you know, make it feel any better. No. And I think too, it depends. Cause if you're part of a team that keeps losing, sometimes right. it can get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. That would really be tough to that, take because then, you know, where's the motivation to show up every well, exactly. game? And it just kind of builds, right? Yeah. You, you need a win. You need something. Yeah. Um, do, do you know what the longest losing streak you've ever faced is? <laughs> Come on. Um, like probably like four or five games or something. Yeah. Like I'm just I'm just basing it on like you know high school playing high right. school sports and and playing you know a men's league hockey. Yeah, it was never like you know we lost and we didn't win a game for the whole season. That would be right. pathetic. Do you remember the feeling at that like <laughs> six game when you won? Yes. What was that? Yeah, it was elation. <laughs> we were like, thank God. Because, yeah, people start getting on each other, right? Like yeah. you start kind of pointing fingers like, why are we losing all the time? Even though it's just wreck. Mm-hmm. Still, you know, people are competitive by nature if you're playing that sport to begin with, any kind of team sport. Yeah. So, you know, fingers will be pointed and no one wants to be at the other end of that uh, finger pointing. No, but imagine the elation when right. it's like a 60 plus losing streak. Yeah, this is ridiculous. This- <laughs> 
you, so you know a little bit about what we're about to talk about, but like there must be a whole <laughs> lot of fun and camaraderie going on for them to be able to sustain this many losses well, and still kind of sh- be, people be showing up. So let's get into this. We're talking about a, a team in St. Albert. They're part of the seventy plus slow pitch this league. Is wild, and that's that's seventy plus age. Yeah, and and yeah, those years of experience um, haven't translated to wins just yet. CBC reporter Emily Fitzpatrick went to watch the team and she joins us now on the loop. Hello, Emily. Hello. So who and, and, and what is this team? Well, it's the SOBs. It's a team of 16 <laughs> guys uh, on a good day, the coach told me. So uh, they're range in age from 60s to almost 80, I think. None of them would tell me their age or some of them would, <laughs> but some of them refused. And their great name comes from a sponsorship with Imperial Oil. So that's where the play. It's S-O-E-S-S-O-B. Oh, yeah. that is clever. I was yeah. like, I thought these guys were some badass. I didn't understand it until <laughs> I said it out loud. And then I was like, oh, that's clever. funny. Clever. But, but how did you find this mature slow pitch team? Mm. Well, I found an article written by Dan Barnes that was incredible. He, he basically <laughs> met up with the team before they started their new season. Because the hook with this team is not only are they in their 70s, but they also haven't won a game in a very long time. But they still they still love it, and they still play twice a week. So I read that article, and immediately I knew I needed to come out for the season opener. Okay, we need to we need to clarify they haven't won in a really long time. So like, what what is exactly their record, and how long ago was their last win? I'm scared to ask. <laughs> the last win was on the great night of August 9th, twenty eighteen. Whoa! So Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they are zero and sixty six. Oh my gosh! Yeah. These guys suck. They well. I mean, I don't want to say they're sack. They're old. Oh, and 66, though? That, yeah, they're not. The, I mean, be nice. Yeah. These are my <laughs> friends now. I really bonded with them. Okay, I take it back. I stayed for the entire game. I did not need to, but I was, I was, oh, I loved it. They're, ver- they're less than mediocre. Like, oh, and 66, that's tough. That's, you know what? And But when I spoke to them, there was no negativity about that. Like, the, there's a lot of chuckles. Mm. But, you know, they just like to come out and play ball with their buds the the like the way they spoke to each other on the the field there was this guy throwing out one liners to all the guys anytime they missed oh. a ball he would be like oh you're warmed up now don't worry about it oh. i like, can just see this i love that this sounds like a movie in the making <laughs> it, i mean it could be like their field of dreamers to win cocoon well, 3 you know they've been trying their very best they play twice a week they think now that they've moved up to the 70-plus league. Last year, they were in the 60-plus league. Mm-hmm. So now they've moved up to the 70-plus, grandfathered a few of their younger guys in. So they got some <laughs> 65-year-olds, 68-year-olds ready to, to win. So there's, the streak is still going, but there's some contention about why exactly they have this uh, such a long streak. Mm. Here's Bob Stewart. He's the, an original member from 1986 of the SOBs. And personally, it was the way it was set up was was wrong because they had a lot of migration between the plus sixties, in other words, the higher skilled players, to play um, on the plus seventy division. So we were in the plus sixty division for some time, and uh, those highly skilled players would migrate from uh, uh, other teams and and play uh, against the teams that we were playing which gave us, uh, it was a little bit of a disadvantage. Our skill level is, is still there uh, in many ways. And uh, 
because we lost uh, a number of games over those, that year and a half, or two seasons rather, it doesn't mean that we weren't competitive. Our skill level was still there. It's just that uh, the teams that we were playing were much better than we were. But we got out there every time and we, we worked to uh, try to improve our game and make a difference and win the game. Yeah. We came close a few times. But... Just getting out with the guys and getting in some physical activity and uh, trying to uh, play and keep up, you know, the uh, the overall stamina and skill that you had in previous years as a younger person. <laughs> It's, it's been a, a godsend for me uh, personally because uh, I was uh, very much involved in uh, construction and, uh, and it gave me a respite from, from construction and gave me an, an outing to be with the guys, basically. <laughs> the friendships that we've formed over the years and uh, the interaction between myself and them and their families uh, has made a big difference in my life overall. Well, I take it all back, man. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> now you feel bad. Mm -hmm. Like, this is so awesome. Like, you can hear how they bonded and they're buddies and they're, you know, giving each other support, even though they're 0 and 66. I know. That Bob. Oh, Bob. I loved Bob. Yeah. He, the, he sounds he sounds very sweet. And I mean, the name is even sweet. You need to get one of those t-shirts. They, they had great name. jerseys. They had hats. They, they, yeah. were, they were decked out. They were a very good-looking team. I, it sounds like it. So, I mean, you watched the mm -hmm. game, uh, heard some of them uh, commenting at each other and supporting each other, you know, so what was that like? Oh, I loved it. I loved every second of it. <laughs> right? Like, I, I switched, I worked a night shift for these guys, and oh. I enjoyed every moment of it because the game was at 3.30, which... Uh, In the afternoon. Yeah, there was some, there was some, some angst about that because that's very early because a lot of these guys are still working. Really? So a lot of them, a 3.30's game is tough. So uh, 11 showed up for season opener. Um, they had to get a guy from the other team to play for them, to sub for them, okay. who was wow. 65. And you could tell because he was just bent. He was the, he was the ringer of the He's team. He was flying around. <laughs> yeah. So they were very happy to have him on the team. Um, but I stayed for the whole game. They play for an hour and a half. You know, it was it was a close game, kind of. Okay. They, they ended up losing 17 to 6. But in that Bob Stewart audio, you can hear when they're all celebrating. That's right. because there was a home run. The last, oh, yeah. The last play of the game. And uh, oh, it was, I, almost, I almost shed a tear. But <laughs> it was very exciting. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a big baseball person. Sure. But these guys were like, they were explaining everything to me. They're like, we're at the bottom of the ninth. And they were keeping me updated. They were showing me how they keep score. I was sitting in the dugout with them. Like it was a great Tuesday night. What's yeah. a what's a slang for the for a home run in uh, in baseball terms? 
the whole nine yards. The whole nine <laughs> yards. I thought you knew. Isn't it a dinger? It, a dinger is a whole home run? Yeah. I thought a dinger meant it went really far, which, you know what, it Which did. is usually a home run. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay, yeah. yeah okay, checks but, out. But these C- guys... Oh, wait, there's a call from CBC Sports. They're looking for you. <laughs> but these guys, I mean, it just sounds like it's such a special team. I want to know more about these yeah. players. Who did you meet? Oh, I knew I would get overwhelmed and want to talk to them all. I spoke to um, a guy named Don Anderson, which you'll hear from later, but he was 68. So he was the young gun of the team. He had just gotten a hip replacement. So it was his first uh, season back. Wow. um, That's hardcore. Yeah. So I spoke to four players and then I had to cut myself off. But the guy I was speaking about earlier, I remember now, his name was Andy. He had a very long ponytail. (laughs) He had the like... The, the the sayings that he had, oh, he was the he was the heart of the team, I think. Really, uh, Malcolm Parker, he was my guy on this. Uh, he is the coach mm-hmm. and the manager, and he has been on the team since 1986. Wow! Yeah, he helped develop the St. Albert Slow Pitch Association, uh, which is where they all play. And there's 60 leagues, uh, 40 leagues, uh, 70 leagues. Um, so he helped develop that. So he spoke to me a little bit about his team and the history. So this team uh, is one of the original teams in the league. Uh, we came in about 1982, and we were a team called the Window Hill Bronx at that time. And then about four years later, uh, we had a new sponsor, and I worked for Imperial Oil, so we became the SOBs. And that's what we've been ever since. And, uh, you know, we've had, uh, you know, changes of people. You know, some people have passed away and others have moved on. Uh, Bob Stewart and myself are the two originals. And uh, over the course of our, our history, um, you know, the, I guess it was the middle 90s or so, we actually in the two divisions we were in, we won the championships. Uh, but then as we got a little bit older and we slowed down a little bit, we haven't been quite as competitive. And uh, so that's why the story is that uh, we haven't won a game for the last couple of years. <laughs> So they've talked about slowing down a little bit. You've mentioned hip replacements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's just really awesome and incredible, but it it can't be easy to be playing mm. this kind of sport in your 70s. No, like I don't want to say I was impressed by them, but I, I was very <laughs> impressed. Yeah. And, you know, I hope you take back your comment about they suck, man, because these guys are, they're trying their very best. They were, they were still hitting. Um, like I've played some baseball before and I missed quite a few balls, but, uh, it's not easy. No, these guys were hitting, like you could tell it was a slower paced game. Sure. There was sometimes, uh, there had to be runners, which I learned about. Uh, so someone standing behind Malcolm in particular, where he would, he would hit it out into the outfield and, uh, then someone would have to run for him. Um, but you know, I was just so impressed that, that these guys are joining an entire sports league. Yeah. In their seventies, that is that's so impressive, and you know the record didn't really bother them. They they did all say that they would like to win. Like mm-hmm. I will preface by saying that they would like to win because they head out to the Legion after and have some nachos and and uh, beers. Nice. Of course, which they invited me to. So and you went? Well, no, but they have to win. <laughs> oh, they okay. do. Okay. They do go out for beer sometimes. Sometimes beers are brought to them as a sympathy beer, they said. Um, but Don Anderson, I think, put it the, the best. So he's been a B for six years, five of them playing because of the pandemic. Right. They have won one time in that uh, six years. And he's 68. So uh, he's ready to win, I think. 
I played hockey with a gentleman on our team and uh, I just got, uh, recovered from hip surgery. I had a hip replacement and I met him down at the Botanical Gardens buying roses for Mother's Day. And he asked me if I was interested in playing ball and I said, sure, I, I'd try it because it's been a year since I had played. So I came out and uh, we didn't win a game that year. So that was 2017 and we went all the way to August the 9th of 2018 and we we're so happy that we had won. We went for a celebration of wobbly pops. We never thought that that would be the last one. So I've been on the team six years, but five years playing. And we've won one game, so. So what keeps you coming back? <laughs> the exercise, the friends, it's just uh, camaraderie and that. None of us are gonna get called up, so. Doesn't matter whether it's a, a loss or a win, it's still fun. Yes, that away, <laughs> Nice, that was a good hit. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, is this the season? Is this where we're going to see them break out and get some Ws? I truly, truly hope so for them. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like they they couldn't be bothered. It's all good. They're still going to get beers. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, they, they think that moving up to the, the 70s plus league will help them be more competitive. Sure. Now there's... Uh, seven other teams, which of course, like, is already impressive. There's seven other that 70s plus leagues, or teams in the league. So they hope that will make them more competitive. Um, they play twice a week, so they have two chances a week. Um, unfortunately, on Tuesday they lost. Um, hmm. So we'll see. Well, you know what? I really hope so. And uh, like I said, I'm already invited to the Legion. So I, <laughs> I'm hoping maybe I can show up for my guys after their big win of, you know, 2022. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haverstock, Olivia O, oh, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, that was fun this week. Yeah. Win- losing can be fun. SOBs. Like, that may be the best team name I've ever see- come across. So One, two, three. SOBs. I need, we, need that. we need to make those t-shirts happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And you know what? There's always so much more to know. Get into the loop with us every Friday so you can leave a rating or a review wherever you download the show. Or if you want to get in touch with either of us, we have an email, of course, theloop at cbc.ca. You can use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media or reach out to us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Claire, you're at? Naminam. And I'm at Min Dariwal, all one word, on Twitter. And, of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. Ben, how do you react when you lose a sports game? I snap my snick. I'm kicking <laughs> shit in the dressing room. I'm like <laughs> dropping F-bombs, slapping guys in the face. I'm like, what in the f*** do you think you're doing? Wake up. Look at the score out there. Are you here to have fun or are you here to win? <laughs> For real? <laughs> For real? That was for a blooper. <laughs> for more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.